So verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We'll use this as a starting point. But you know, friends, we have lost something about how God is a father to us and what that actually means. We know that before every move of God, there has been a social crisis. And I believe the social crisis that has marked us in modern time has been a fatherless generation. And more than that, there are times when we pursue our Abba Father for what we can get out of him rather than pursuing him for who he really is. And I'm sure you are all familiar with the parable of the prodigal son, which I would like to retitle as the parable of Abba's heart. Because it's not about the prodigal. It's not about even the two sons. It's about the father, the father's heart that is shown in Jesus Christ as he goes and touches the untouchable and does the unthinkable and expresses the love of God to sinners. The prodigal parable is not about the beginning of a relationship with God. And though we sometimes use it in a gospel and evangelistic contest, and I'm not against that, I do it myself. Essentially, the parable is more about restoring a relationship that should already be there. Both sons were self-centered. One was self-centered concerning the pleasures of the flesh. The other was self-centered in his performance relationship with his father. Both sons were self-centered. But essentially, both sons used their father for, the, for what they could get out of him. And it's very important that we notice that. They used their father rather than valuing intimacy with him, valuing him for who he really is. The prodigal valued him for the inheritance. And when he came and asked his father for what was going to belong to him, he was essentially saying, Dad, I wish you were dead six foot under so that I could get my hands on your money. Imagine how that father must have felt. He just wanted what was coming to him, his inheritance. But the elder brother wasn't that different in that he was serving and slaving for his father in the field in order to earn wages and gain a reward, gain his father's favor. Now, friends, there is a great danger that we as Christians, if we have the new birth experience and we are in our father's house, just like both these sons, and we know some of the benefits of sonship, but we are rather selfish in the way in which we relate to our Father in heaven. Let me give you an example. For some Christians, it's all about salvation. Everything revolves around being saved and knowing that we're going to heaven and having the assurance of sin forgiven. Now, that's not wrong. That's a great blessing and a wonderful benefit of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then there are other Christians, and there is a great emphasis on spiritual gifts 
and spiritual experiences. And again, that's not essentially wrong. Scripture teaches us to desire earnestly the best gifts of the Spirit. And the Bible is full of spiritual experiences. But there is a danger that we look to get things from God, whether it's getting out of hell and going to heaven, whether it's getting the slate clean and all our sin purged, whether it's spiritual giftedness and all sorts of supernatural abilities. We can do all of that, desire all of that, at the expense of actually valuing, valuing God for who he really is and sp spend pursuing spiritual intimacy with him. So you see, if we only relate to God in a superficial way, we would either end up like the young son in the far country, seeking other satisfaction, or we will become a religious formulist that is completely detached from the re reality of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. And I have to say that I believe that's one of the reasons where there is a spiritual famine in the church in general today in the Western world. It's because we pursue God for what we can get out of him rather than pursuing him for who he really is and valuing intimacy with him as our heavenly father. So the prodigal teaches us that if we don't value God for who he is as a father, we will end up seeking other substitutes and we will end up going way far from God into a far country and eventually we'll wind up with pigs and away from Abba Father. Well, other people don't go that route as such, but they try to find meaning in power, in possession, in position, in other people, in other places, or performances, just like the elder son. It doesn't really matter. The answer and solution for both these sons was the same. Their empty hearts needed to discover their heavenly father and appreciate the love that he had for them. And that's what we need today, brothers and sisters. Whether we're trying to find satisfaction in religion or in the world, our emptiness, the aching void in our hearts will only be filled by the revelation of the father heart of God and appreciating who he really is. You see, who he really is as a father will move us to the place when we will discover who we truly are. And there is a great crisis of identity in the world today, even in the church. We don't know who we are, and we don't know how to behave at times. And it seems that we can't behave right. But when we realize who our Heavenly Father really is, we will discover who we truly are. And also, and this is very important, we will discover how we should be living as sons and daughters. And can I just say that this is the way to holiness? This is the path to sanctification? Not trying to be holy, if you are one of those Christians that is trying your best and struggling and striving, but you are not abiding in your father's love, this is the reason why you're always falling flat on your face. We cannot achieve holiness by trying. And I would go as far as to say that holiness should not be thought separate from intimacy with God. 
That's a very strong statement, but I do believe it's true. For years, from pulpits throughout our churches, holiness have, have been preached, different strain, different understanding of it, and many people have had burdens put on them. I need to do better. I need to live cleaner. I need to stop doing this and start doing that. And they cannot do it. The religious spirit is putting a burden on people that cannot be born. And those who are teaching them cannot even move them with our little fingers. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. We put burdens on people, but we can't deal with them. When we preach holiness without intimacy with God, all it does is condemn people and weighs them down. You see, friends, the secret to holiness, if it's a secret, and it's not, it's an open revelation in Scripture, is intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Because it's impossible to get holiness any other way. And when we preach holiness without intimacy, all it does is condemn people, as I said before. But what does the word say in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 16? It is written, be holy because I am holy. It does not say do this or do that and you'll be holy. Strive to be holy. Be holy because I am holy. And it's holiness that lead to holiness. Knowing who our Heavenly Father is. Our identity in Him as sons and daughters in the kingdom. We then know how to behave. Why? Because we know who we are related to. And this is right throughout the New Testament. What you believe affects the way you behave. What you do does not determine who you are. That's the religious performance spirit. What you do does not determine who you are. Who you are determines what to do. So when we understand who the Father is, we know who we are, then we know how we should behave. So friends, do you know who our Heavenly Father is? And do you know who you are? Or are you still struggling and striving to try to be what you think you need to be? And what God expects of you and what others expect of you. But there is a shortfall of intimacy with God. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus was tempted? He was led into the wilderness by the spirits and tested by Satan. Satan came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Do you remember that? But what a lot of people don't realize is that Satan is very shrewd. He's a serpent. And his subtlety is great. He dropped a word, a very important word in that temptation. He called Jesus the Son of God. And he was quite happy to do that. That's something he knew he couldn't get away with in front of Jesus. He's standing before the Son of God. He knows exactly who he is. But there is one very significant word that he dropped. Do you know what that word was? Well, if we go back to chapter, Matthew chapter 3, and what happened? It was the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist says, I need to be baptized. By, Jesus said to John, I need to be baptized by you. And uh, Jesus said, no, to fulfill all righteousness, you baptize me. So Jesus is baptized by John. And you know what happened. It says that the heavens were open 
A dove came down as the Holy Spirit anoints Jesus. And there is a voice that comes from heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Satan dropped that designation, beloved. Now, why is that significant? I believe it's significant because it's keeping ourselves in the love of God that will make us holy and enable us to resist temptation. It's a relationship. It's knowing that we are beloved as sons and daughters of God. So, friend, do we keep ourselves in the love of God? In fact, Paul, when he came in Romans after uh, spending 11 chapters expounding the wonder of the gospel and how we need to take it to the four corners in the world, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The whole point was, because of everything that God has done for you in love, all of those blessings, considering you beloved, our response should be to just surrender everything to him. Like that old hymn says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So you see, when we get a true revelation of the love of, that is in the Father's heart, we will then be able to hate sin. Only then. Because sin will become a threat to our intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And we don't want to lose that, do we? And that can only happen when we know who He is. The love that is in His heart. Our identity as sons and daughters in Him. And I can tell you, friend, that is who you already are. If you have repented of your sins, believed in the gospel, you already are a beloved child of God. As John said in John 1, verse 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, we are striving sometimes to be someone, aren't we? to be a better Christian, to earn God's favor, or to even be better fathers ourselves. But that's performance-based relationship that we find in the parable of the prodigal, the elder brother disease, if you wish. But we only need to stand under the open heaven as Jesus stood that day in his baptism and realize that in Christ we are accepted in the beloved and we are beloved sons and daughters of God. But if we are going to abide in, in our Father's love, we need to understand the truth of adoption in Scripture. And there are two things I would like to share with you concerning adoption, two very simple things this morning. The first truth of, is the truth of adoption. If you're going to abide in the Father's love, we need to understand that. Now, there are two ways to have a child, isn't there? Generally speaking, naturally or through adoption. Naturally, you get what you get. <laughs> there isn't much choice. Boy or girl, well, unless you're going down to the scientific route and it's very, very frightening with engineering today. But generally, you can't choose a boy or a girl. You can't choose their personality type, whether they are 
extrovert or introvert. You can choose blonde hair and blue eyes, dark hair and brown eyes. What you get is what you get in the natural birth. But in adoption, you see what you're getting. When you adopt a child, you get a full history of the child's background. Family, lineage, warts and all. It's all in the open. And the Bible teaches us that when we become Christian, we discover that we have been adopted by God, the Father, as his children. And friends, listen to me this morning. The Father knows who you are. He knows everything but you and but me. Some of us don't even know who we are. Some of us don't appreciate that we are unique, one of a kind. I mean, that never ceases to amaze me. You think of the seven, nearly eight billion people on the face of the earth this morning. Out of all the billions of humanity, there is not two that are identical. Even identical twins are not identical. Isn't that remarkable? You are special. In this myriad of human faces, each one of us is unique. And God has made us the way we are. He has formed you the way you are. You are not a mistake. You may have grown up not liking yourself or wishing that you could change this or that. But you need to hear what God says about you, not what pop culture or glossy magazines say about you and what weight you should have, what height you should have, what complexion you should have. Listen with me to what David, the man after God's heart, says in Psalm 139, verse 13 to 18. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depth of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Where I can are to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. Amen? That's who we are. God knows our full story. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. There are no surprises. He knows everything, and yet, he loves you. And he made you. Maybe this is a bridge too far for some people, but I have to say this. He even likes us. You are beloved. And I'm not saying that he likes everything we do. I'm not saying that he necessarily loves our lifestyles or some of the choices we have made or the personality that we may have become through some of those lifestyle choices. But I want you to understand this morning that the miracle and the truth of this message that we preach, that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, is that knowing you the way you really are and knowing me the way I really am, he wants us. He wants us and he has ad adopted us as his children. Not only does he want you in his family, but the Bible teaches that he, was, he has actively pursued you. God knows your full story. There are no surprises. And yet, he loves us. Often when we sin, 
particularly as Christians, we tend to run away from God and we become fearful of him. When we can run to him, like that prodigal, walk toward him in forgiveness, for forgiveness. But we saw from the prodigal that God was running to the prodigal. We ran away from God. God runs toward us. John 6, verse 44. No one can come to me, said Jesus, unless the Father who sent him draw him. And that's amazing, isn't it? God knows everything about us. Even the stuff we have forgotten and we're ignorant of. And yet, he wants us. He wants us as a child, and he pursues us. He desires that we should know who we are, and also desire that we should know what we have in the family. Listen to what uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 15, 17, and these are wonderful verses. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testify with our spirit that we are God's children. If you are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. Now, friend, to be adopted in Bible time could give you potentially numbers of problems. Often, for children who were adopted, sometime out of slavery and into families, there was a long adjustment period for them, and you can understand that. Here would be a child with the mindset of a slave, and he comes to this home and have only related in the past to his master as a slave. And he doesn't know what it is to relate as a son or as a daughter to a father. Imagine no longer being forced to do things against your will. Things that you used to do on a regular basis. You can imagine the adjustment and the time that it took. Also moving from the poverty of a slave, knowing the blessing of being in a family. And some slaves who were adopted still had this mentality of poverty and slavery. In other words, not enjoying what was actually theirs with their father. And some Christians can be like that. They can still have the mindset of a slave. And they can still have the poverty of a slave. And I want to ask each one of us this morning, what is it that keeps us back from moving in and living in our inheritance as sons and daughters of the Most High? Look at verse 17 of Romans 8. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And that's very profound. Do you remember the prodigal son? It says that certain man had two sons and the younger came to him, to his father, and asked him to divide the inheritance. And it was divided. The inheritance was divided between the two sons. They were joint heirs, if you like. And imagine four children in a family. And the last remaining parent dies. All the possession, property are split equally between the four in the family. So you can imagine the lawyer sitting behind his desk with the will before him. And he says to them, you are all joint heirs. You know what that means. What one gets, they all get equally. 
Now, except in Islam when the man gets twice as the woman, but that's not, that's another subject. Now, you look at this verse, verse 17. It says, you are joint hair with Christ. What does that mean, to be joint hair with Christ? And friends, this is too deep for me. It means that God makes no difference between his adopted sons and daughters and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That means that whatever is Jesus becomes yours. Whatever destiny is Jesus becomes your destiny. Whatever inheritance is given to the Son of God becomes your inheritance. You are joint heir with God in Jesus Christ. That blows my mind at times. You are in the will with Jesus, if you wish. Whatever he gets, you get. Now, that also includes suffering, verse 17. And we need to be prepared for that as well. And we know that some Christians think of themselves as their father on earth thought of them. What their father pronounced over them. His attitude toward them. That may be reflected in their own self-image. But when you take this into the realm of our Heavenly Father, what does our Heavenly Father think of us? What does he say of us? What does he pronounce over our lives? Well, it's in his will. What he thinks of his son, what he gives to his son, what he's going to do for his son. Ephesians chapter 1, we see another sphere of this doctrine of adoption. We read that there that we have been raised with Jesus Christ. We have ascended with Jesus Christ. We are seated with Jesus Christ. And we are blessed with all spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. The truth of what it means to be joint here with Christ. And some of you here today maybe have been listening to what the enemy says about you. What your parents or other authority figures have said over you. And what you have agreed in self-pronouncement over yourself. Are you not hearing what God, your father, says about you? You are a hair of God. And a joint hair with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I tell you, friends, adoption in the new covenant is even greater than that. And do you know why? Because you could be an adopted child in the legal sense in our society or in biblical time. And you could have the same legal status as a biological son or daughter. But you could never ever be flesh and blood. Biologically related to your adopted parents. But we read in Peter's epistle that as children of God, we become partaker of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. We become related to God. Now it's not biological, but it's spiritual. We get God's life. We get God's likeness. Look at verse 16 of Romans 8. The Spirit himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And this is wonderful. Do you know what your adoption means as a child of God? Are you living in your inheritance? Or are you living with the mindset of a slave still under some legalistic system? Are you living as a spiritual slave? Not tapping into the wonderful inheritance of your father's house that is all yours. Whatever belongs to Jesus is now yours. And you can share it with him and share it with the rest of the world. 
Do you know that in a slave house in Bible time, a slave would have called their master pater. It's a, a Greek word for father. A stricter word for a father. And if that slave was adopted and put into the family of his master, he would no longer call his master pater. He would call his master his father Abba, if he's Jewish. And God longs for us to call him Abba Father. So do you call him Abba? Do you know him as Abba? So we looked at adoption that's essential to abide in the love of God. Now finally I want us to look at this word, Abba. This word, this designation, this name that God wants us to call him. And I believe that the name Abba is the central theme of what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to reveal the heart of the Father toward lost sinners, and he wants us to know him as Abba, Father. So if you look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent for his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as son. And look at this verse. And because you are sons, God has sent for the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are meant, friends, to call our Father in heaven, Abba. Now, no one ever addressed God directly as my father in Bible times. And the reason being, it was interpreted as disrespectful. Yes, God was often understood as the father of the nation, and maybe even the father of the faith, but no one would ever have dreamt of considering him personally as my father. And we believe that Jesus always used this form when addressing God in prayer, to the absolute amazement, as a matter of fact, to the disciples. We only have one reference of Jesus using it in the gospel, and that was in Matthew chapter 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he cried, Abba, Father, all thanks are possible for you. Take this cup from me. That's the only time we see it mentioned in the Gospels. The other two mentions are in Paul's writing in Galatians and Romans. But in the Gospel, the word for father in the Greek, as I said, is pater. But of course, Jesus and his disciple and his contemporary did not speak Greek. They spoke Aramaic. So we believe that whenever we find the word in the Greek New Testament pater for father spoken by Jesus or by the disciples, behind it was the use of Abba in the spoken Aramaic. The only exception to that is when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus used this Aramaic term Abba of his heavenly father in prayer. And he also encouraged his disciples to use this form of address for God, and they did. Now, this was amazing to the disciple, and utterly shocking and obnoxious to the Jews. It was utterly too intimate over familiarity at its worst that Jesus should address the holy God of heaven as Abba. Now, let me give you a bit of 
the derivation of this Aramaic word. And I don't want to confuse you, but this is important. Abba is the male of the equivalent of Imma, which is mommy, which derived again from Aramaic baby speaking. When a little baby was starting to learn to speak, they would say Abba or Imma, just the way in English we say Dada and Mama for the little babies. This is where this is coming from. Jesus is calling the all holy God of heaven Abba. But please don't misunderstand me and please don't misquote what I'm saying. We need a reverential approach to God. And in the Lord's Prayer, there is a balance. Our Father, who is in heaven, there is an intimacy, our Father, but there is also the reverence and the godly fear. There is the, this is the, there is the basis on which we come to God, our Father, sonship. But there is also the reverencing of his holiness. Our Father is holy. He is the holy God of heaven. He's not an overindulgent grandfather figure. He is a true father. And sometimes, as we see in scripture, he has to discipline us. That's how he shows his love toward us as his sons and daughters. But even though we want to show reverence to God, even though we want to show respect and godly fear, we must never dilute the revolutionary intimacy of what it is to come and say, Abba, Father. Look at the Lord's prayer. He's Abba first, Abba Father. Now, this is the picture, if you want to just imagine it. This is a little Jewish boy in a Jewish home, and daddy is out working all day, and then he comes from the field, and when his shift is over and opens the door, and maybe little Jacob or Benjamin comes running up the hallway and throw his arms around his neck and cries, Abba, 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 Abba. You know, I remember my son used to do that. And I'm sure some of you, Father, remember that with a little smile and a little twinkle in your heart. God's words say that this is how we should address our Father in heaven. That's the relationship that we are meant to have to God. This childlike awe and affection that a toddler has for his daddy. We need to experience that toward our Father in heaven. And I'm not suggesting, and there are some people that get this truth and they run away with it in such a way that it becomes utterly disrespectful and inappropriate. Yet there is a religious spirit that will say, what you are saying now is irreverent. It's over-familiarity. It's too much. Well, if you're going down that line, you have never seen into the heart of Father God. John White, former missionary to Bolivia with New Tribe Missions, once said, such a carnal sort of dignity must go, and the humble trust must be added. When you know him as Abba, your faith will be simpler, clearer, your prayer at once, reverence, intimate, and informed. And I'll level with you this morning, brothers and sisters. There are two things over the last six or seven years, or even more than that, that have utterly revolutionized my Christian life. One has been the truth of grace, and not only how we can receive grace from God, this unmerited favor, but mainly how that allows us to show grace to others even though we don't agree with them. And so if we don't have a performance-based relationship with God, 
Others don't need to perform to earn our favor. But the second truth is the truth of Abba Father. And I never forget the day that that revelation dawned on me. Some of you know I have grown in a Muslim home. My father was in the French military and later became leader of the resistance movement that were trying to kick the French out of the country in the 50s. And I can't say that I have good memories of him. He threw me in a dry well when I was five years old and left me there for three days. I nearly died from that experience. He used me to carry bombs and send me in the middle of the night to French neighborhoods to just leave him there and come back. He was most of the time absent, especially when I needed him most. To the point when I received news that he died, I remember I was in London with Joyce, we just married, and I was over 30, 30 years ago. I remember turning to her and say, the coward, he didn't even have the guts to stay alive until I asked him why he was never a father to me. So you can imagine what the word Abba or father meant to me. Even when I came to Christ the first couple of years, I had a very hard time relating to God as my father. But I can remember sitting back in my study that day and I was praying and I don't know how long I did it, but I just cried out from, like a baby from my heart, Abba, 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 Father. And I broke down weeping. But at the same time, something happened. I felt God's spirit with full of joy that I have a father in heaven, after all. And some of you, friends, have explored the father flaws that have been in your life, the wounds and the damage that has been done. And do you know that you've got such a father in heaven, such a wonderful Abba in heaven? Do you know you're adopted into the family? You don't need to stand far from God, but you can come boldly into his presence you're not only a servant, and you're certainly not a slave. You're a friend of God, and you're a child of God, and you can come into his immediate presence and call him boldly, Abba, Father. There is a famous photograph from 1963 on John F. Kennedy. Some of you may remember it. Sitting at his desk during the Cuban Missile Crisis, there were many dignitaries assembled in the Oval Office at the White House to discuss the crisis. But the photo of that meeting reveals that while these leaders were in serious discussion, little John Jr., John Kennedy, he was playing under the president's desk at the president's feet. All the VIPs had to show credential to enter the Oval Office in the midst of this potentially global crisis but this was the president's son, and he had the right to be there, and his father wanted him to be there. Why? Because of who he was. So we need to know who we are in Christ. Do you know that you are his child, that you are adopted? Do you know the inheritance that you have in him? The book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and the book of Ephesians talk about adoption. And all three of them connected with the Spirit of God because we can't know the truth of adoption or the Father 
heart of God, or our inheritance without God's Spirit. So friends, have you recognized your need for intimacy with God as your Father? Have you recognized that perhaps you have been seeking other idolaters, intimacies elsewhere? Well, if you will recognize your need today, he will meet it. Whatever you don't, need, you don't have, it's there. And you need, to be, you need to be able to ask him for it. Ask Abba, and he will give it to you. If you being evil, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Spirit? The Spirit of adoption that rises up, the Spirit of God's Son that rises up within our hearts and witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. And it cries, Abba. Then we will abide day by day in our Father's love. And just as I close, I just want to ask all of us of our response. He is the father. Are you the child? Maybe you're a Christian, but are you living as a child or as a slave? We need to repent of any hardness or any difficulty. We want to bring wounds that has caused us or have destroyed the view or our heavenly father. We want those truly healed. But we want to have a revelation of the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, if you didn't get it, ask for it. In fact, it's there. It's what you already have. Ask the Lord to remove whatever barriers there are. Bring to him your sin, your idolatrous things that have substituted with intimacy with him. We need to repent and renounce them. Renounce and revoke words that you have spoken over, over your own life that have been like curses. And words that others have spoken over you that have brought oppression over your life because you have believed them and taken them into your identity. And ask the Lord Jesus to break the power of those and to break the power of the enemy over your mind and over your heart. And by faith, Embrace your identity as a child of God and embrace your Abba, Father in heaven. Let us pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.